And I just want to say that we love you all, each and every one of you, and we're so thankful for you and for just being part of our, our church family and part of the family of God. Um, our, our newly formed hospitality team has been at work this weekend, uh, sending you all a little greeting. If you don't get something this weekend uh, or this past week, then please just let us know in the office. We, we hope we have everyone's contact information and addresses right uh, for those within our church family, and our hospitality team has been on the road. They've been at work, so you might have gotten something already. Um, but also, if you want to join that newly formed hospitality team and be part of this, then please uh, go online uh, to our event sign-up page on our website and uh, sign up for that. And we want to be able to continue just to encourage one another, bless one another, love one another uh, in this season and in the seasons to come as well. Now, I think you know already, today's Super Bowl Sunday, and how can Daniel preach a message without mentioning the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday? So I'm going to get this over with right from the beginning and just say, you know, I've been blessed this week by reading different stories of some of the people that have been, uh, that are going to be playing today, this evening, uh, in the Super Bowl, and how their faith really informs their life and their decisions. And so I want to encourage you, you know, you can just Google it if you'd like and read up some stories of various players and how... Uh, their faith means so much to them, and because of that, they are uh, using their gifts and talents and time and finances to invest into the community and to others as well. And yeah, watch tonight if you like to, and cheer for the Bengals, okay? So um, today, uh, we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit, and today I'd like to look a little bit at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, we see in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God was moving uh, right from creation in different ways upon different people in different situations and circumstances. And we looked at that a little bit last week as well. Um, but what I would like us to see in studying the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was that in an amazing way, it foreshadowed and it pointed to the work of the Holy Spirit now in this New Testament time as well. Um, I'm going to probably go through a number of verses this morning, and I want to encourage you, those that are watching online, and if you're here in person, uh, the verses and notes are on our website as well, so please feel free uh, to look at that in case you miss something uh, as we go through some of these verses, because I want us to continue to be rooted in Scripture as we study some of these things. But as I mentioned last week, the, the difference between the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and in the New Testament was that in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon people for a specific, uh, uh, on a specific person at a specific time for a specific reason or purpose. Whereas in the New Testament time, because Jesus said it's important, as Son uh, prayed as well, that it's important for us, for Jesus to go away to the Father so that He can send the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit can indwell us and remain in us and abide with us forever. Uh, and so we see, we see even in, in Isaiah 11, we see this is actually a, a prophecy about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Jesus, right? And it's the Spirit of the Lord that will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so we see these aspects of the Holy Spirit that would rest upon Jesus and empower him. And so uh, I want to look at just three things this morning uh, about the Holy Spirit and his work in the Old Testament, but also foreshadowing into the New Testament. The first thing, which we looked at a little bit last week, is that the Spirit empowers us for service, just like He empowered 
uh, different ones in the Old Testament for service. If you see Joseph and Daniel in the Old Testament, both of them stood out because of their gifts of leadership, but also their gifts of interpreting dreams, wisdom that the Spirit of God gave them at that time to be able to interpret dreams and see what was to come. In, in Genesis 41, now, it's, we, we see in these verses, these next couple of verses, we see uh, heathen uh, rulers acknowledging the difference in Joseph and in Daniel and realizing, hey, there's something different because there's a, the spirit of the gods indwelling. Now, they didn't realize that it was actually the Holy Spirit that was empowering them, and because of their own heathen context, they just said, hey, it's the spirit of the gods. But it says here, so Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, speaking of Joseph, after Joseph had interpreted Pharaoh's dreams? So obviously, obviously filled with the spirit of God. Right? Even a heathen ruler noticed that. In Daniel, Daniel chapter 5, it says, I have heard that you have, this is the, one of the, the, the kings coming to Daniel and saying, and because he had a dream and he wanted to understand what it was all about, and he says, I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. And so we see here that there was an empowerment, there was a, a filling of the Holy Spirit, uh, even in, this, in the Old Testament times. In, for Joshua, when Joshua had to take over the leadership mantle from Moses, we see that the Spirit of God came upon Joshua and filled him with wisdom. Uh, and he was anointed by the Spirit of God to lead the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy 34, we read about that. Now, the Spirit of God also came upon people like Saul. When Samuel came and anointed him to be king, we see the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he even prophesied. For Samuel 10 and verse 10, it says, When Saul and his servant arrived in Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul and he too began to prophesy. All right? in, in, in the next chapter in verse 6, it talks about the Spirit of God coming powerfully upon Saul. But unfortunately, because of the life that, that Saul lived, the Bible, even, the Bible even says, again, because in the Old Testament time, the Spirit came upon certain people for a certain purpose at a certain time for a certain work, uh, but the Spirit of God actually ended up leaving Saul. So um, we read in 1 Samuel um, 16, it says in verse 13 and 14, when, when Samuel came now to anoint David because Saul had grieved the heart of God, disobeyed God, God told Samuel, go and find somebody else, as Sylvia read this morning of how God came uh, and sent Samuel to anoint David to be the next king of Israel. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took a flask of olive oil that he had, that he had brought and anointed David with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, right? So it was there upon him for a certain time, and unfortunately, he grieved the Holy Spirit. He, he disobeyed the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord left him, okay? And so when we see in the Old Testament all of these different ways in which the Spirit of God was coming upon different people, and we don't have time to look at all the examples that are there, but in your life groups, you can look at various other examples this week as you dig into some of the Old Testament a little bit more. But you can see how the Spirit of God was moving and empowering people at certain times to be led by the Spirit of God. And all of these various things are actually pointing towards Christ because Christ would be the fulfillment of this empowerment, as we read in Isaiah chapter 11, and all all of these various aspects, not just one, but all of it would be seen and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Number two is that the Spirit empowered prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament. 
Uh, and before we get to David, as we just read this verse in David, David actually is a beautiful type of Jesus, right? He represents Jesus so beautifully and fully in so many different ways. But David, believe it or not, was a prophet, a priest, and a king. Now, the king is the obvious one. If you've read the Word of God, you can pretty see that pretty clearly. But I want to show you as well how David was a prophet and a priest. But before that, uh, I, I want to show you as well how the Spirit of God came upon the prophets, came upon the priests, came upon kings as well. In Nehemiah 9, it talks about how God sent His Spirit and he warned the children of Israel through the prophets. So the Spirit of God came upon the prophets at certain times when they were able to speak the Word of God, and they were able to share God's Word with the people through the power of the Holy Spirit. Second Chronicles, I'm just giving you a few examples here. Second Chronicles 15 talks about Azariah, the son of Obed, uh, Oded, and how the Spirit of God came upon him. He had to go and meet King Asa, and he had to go and speak to King Asa. And so before that happened, the Spirit of God came upon him and gave him the words to speak and empowered him for the ministry that he had to do. Uh, in 2 Chronicles 24, we read about how the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, right? He was the son of uh, Jehoiada the priest. So this is now, the other examples were about prophets that the Spirit of God came upon. Now we see the Spirit of God actually coming upon a priest, right? This was Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. It empowered the priest for the word that the priest had to speak to the people. So he stood before the people and said, this is what the Lord says, and if you want, you can read the rest of it later on. But the Spirit of God was empowering prophets and empowering priests. Uh, in the Old Testament time, the Lord actually gave something that was called the anointing oil, and the anointing oil was a symbol or a representation of the anointing of the Holy Spirit or the empowerment of the Spirit. That's why Samuel took a, a, a horn of oil and, and poured it upon Saul when he anointed Saul to be king, representing the empowerment of the Spirit upon Saul. He took that same anointing oil and poured it upon David, representing the empowerment of the Spirit upon David to be king and lead the people of Israel. In Exodus 30, we read about this, how God told Moses to anoint Aaron and his sons, consecrating them to serve as priests. They were empowered by the Spirit in order to serve as priests to the children of Israel. And he said, this holy anointing oil is reserved for me from generation to generation. And so this anointing oil re represents in a type and shadow that empowerment of the Spirit. And so we see all throughout the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God coming in different forms, in different ways, empowering people to do the work that God had called them to do, foreshadowing towards this New Testament time, this time after Jesus' death and resurrection, when the Holy Spirit would not just come upon us for a certain time, but would abide, would indwell us and stay with us and empower us day by day. And that's why we have to continue to ask, even as we sang today, welcome Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit. We need a, a continual refreshing and renewal and infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis so that he can empower us us for the work that he has for us to do in the same way that the Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament, whether they were prophets or priests or kings, to accomplish the work of the Lord. Now, Saul was, was anointed by Samuel. We read that in 1 Samuel chapter 10, how Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it upon uh, Saul's head, right, uh, and says, the Lord has appointed you to be ruler over Israel. Right, a few verses after that in verse, uh, in verse 6, he says, At that time the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. 
This is what the Spirit of God does. We looked at that a little bit last week and how the Spirit of God sanctifies us and purifies us. Well, the Spirit of God can come upon us and change us and transform us. Uh, We read that in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we are changed by the Spirit from glory to glory into the very image and character and likeness of Jesus. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. And it was doing, he, he did that for Saul for a time. But for us, the wonderful blessing that we have as children of God is that the Spirit comes into us and empowers us, and it's a continual work of transformation that He does in our lives. We read even about the Holy Spirit, believe it or not, coming upon heathen kings. Isaiah 45 talks about King Cyrus. He was a heathen king, and it says, this is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, that that again, the anointing came upon Cyrus to accomplish the will of God, the purpose of God. The mission of God. In a very similar way as the Spirit came upon Saul, remember in the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon certain people for a specific time, for a specific reason, to accomplish a specific purpose. And we see that happen even for King Cyrus. But one person that's actually a beautiful, amazing type and shadow of Jesus, who was anointed prophet, priest, and king is David, right? The Lord saw the, the humble heart of David, right? As, as Sylvia read the scripture today, uh, the, the Lord told Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance because God looks at the heart. And he was looking for a, a, a humble person to lead his people. He was looking for humility in the heart of David, and he found that in the heart of David and said, I'm going to anoint him right, to be, to be king. David loved the presence of God. You see that in how he wrote beautiful psalms and how he, draw, he drew close to the Lord. He desired to be uh, with the Lord each and every day and be renewed and filled with the Spirit of God each and every day. He was anointed at one point by Samuel to be king over Israel, but David wanted that continual infilling and that continual presence of the Lord to help him to be king. 1 Samuel 16 says, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took a flask of olive oil and brought it that he had brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. David was so empowered by the Spirit that as a prophet, David spoke words to the people of God. Uh, And he he did so many different things as a prophet. Uh, David was empowered by the Spirit to write the Scriptures. We see so many Psalms that were written of David, and some of those Psalms are Messianic Psalms that David is writing very prophetically. Uh, He wrote prophecies about Jesus. The Spirit of God empowered David to defeat the Philistines as well. It wasn't something that David could do on his own, but he had to seek the Lord. And he he inquired of the Lord and heard the voice of God through the empowerment of the Spirit. David said, Lord, should I go up to the battle? The Lord said, yes, go. I will give you the victory. And David fought the battle. As a king, he was anointed to lead his people, to lead uh, the children of Israel out to victory. He prepared the the temple of God. David had a desire to build a house for the Lord. But God said, no, 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 your son is going to do that. So instead, what did David do? Empowered by the Spirit, he made every preparation and everything, every design to the very minute detail. David did all of those things and left that all for Solomon to actually do. But it was all coming out of the heart of David because he was empowered by the Spirit. The plan, the design was given by God because he was empowered by the Spirit. He led Israel into the glory days. Now Israel looks back and says, what were the the best times for us? 
is during the time that David was king. They're still waiting for their Messiah who would come and sit upon the throne of David and establish Israel back to the glory days of how it was during the days of David. In Psalm 2 and Psalm 22, Psalm 110, all messianic psalms pointing to Jesus. How did David even write those things? It was because he was empowered by the Spirit to write as a prophet the the Word of God. But he was also empowered by the Spirit as a priest. Now, I'm going to not talk too much about the king because I think that's pretty obvious. David was king over Israel and so many different things. But David was empowered by the Spirit as a priest. Look at one thing that David wrote in Psalm 27. This was his desire. He wanted to be in the house of the Lord. He wanted to know the beauty of the Lord. He wanted a fellowship with God. He said, one thing I ask from the Lord, just one thing. I'm not asking to be great king and famous and all these things. No, he says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's the privilege of priests. In the Old Testament time, in the tabernacle, the priests could do this. They could stay and dwell in the house of the Lord. They could stay and be in God's house and see uh, and, and feel and know the presence of God. So one of the first things that David does in 2 Samuel chapter 6, one of the first things that David does when he is anointed to be king over all of Israel, he comes to Jerusalem, and what does he say? He says, I want to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem because the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. It represents the power of God. It represents the spirit of God. It represents the intimacy and the love and and the communion that we can have with God. And so based on this verse that we just read in Psalm 27, this is what David wanted. And so he says, I'm going to bring the Ark to me to Jerusalem. Right? And in many ways, as David brings the ark to Jerusalem, he acts like a priest. Look at some of these verses. 2 Samuel 6, verse 13 to 15. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. David's acting like a priest here, offering sacrifices to the Lord as he's bringing the ark, the, the representation of the presence of God, the representation of the power of the Spirit of God. He, he needs that. He knows, if I'm going to be king, I can't have the ark somewhere else. I can't have the presence of God somewhere else. I can't have the Spirit of God somewhere else. I need God's presence. I need God's Spirit. I need God's power if I'm going to be king. So one of the first things I'm going to do is bring the ark to Jerusalem. Right? It says here, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing what? A priestly garment. David, in many ways, he's acting like a priest here, bringing the ark. Now, just before this happened, they tried to bring the ark, and somebody was touched the ark, and he was killed right away. David's pretty bold here, taking on these, he's pretty bold here, taking on these steps and saying, I'm actually acting like a priest here, bringing the ark. But he knew that he was anointed as a priest. He was empowered as a priest to be able to do this. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. David's not struck down here like the other person was. Because David had a heart after the heart of God. And wanted the spirit of God to empower him and fill him so that he could be king and rule over the children of Israel. And Remember, uh, if you don't know this, let me tell you, the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle was actually kept in what's called the most holy place. So if you walk into the tabernacle, you come into a place called the outer court. 
there's an altar and there's a laver and that's where all the sacrifices are. Then the next step is going into the holy place where only the priest could go. And there, there was other things that the priest would do in the, with the candlestick and the table of shorebread and altar of incense. We won't get into all those details. But then further in, it was called the most holy place. And the high priest could only go there once a year. In our next series, we're going to look at glimpses of Calvary. And in one of those messages, we're going to talk about the Day of Atonement. So we'll talk a little bit more detail about what happened in that once a year on the Day of Atonement when the high priest could go in and see the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark of the Covenant was something that was very holy, special, and could only be seen once a year. What does David do? David says, forget this. I I can't live my life with the presence of God only one time a year. I can't live my life with the Spirit empowering me only one time a year. That's not going to work. So what does he do? He says, bring the ark to me. Let me have the presence of God, right? And so David makes his own tent for it. 2 Samuel 6, verse 17, 18. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside a special tent David had prepared for it. See, David didn't bring the whole tabernacle to Jerusalem, The tabernacle was pitched in a place called Shiloh at this time. And David, instead of bringing the whole tabernacle to Jerusalem, he says, leave the tabernacle over there. I just want the ark. That's it. I don't need any of the other stuff. Just give me the ark. Because if you brought the whole tabernacle, what would happen? The ark would have to stay in the most holy place. Could David go into the most holy place? No. So David says, I'm making my own rules here. Okay, I'm the king. Spirit is anointed me, so bring the ark to me, leave the tabernacle in Shiloh, but just bring the ark to me. I'm going to put my own tent out for the ark so that I can go and see the Shekinah glory of God, so that I can go and see and experience the presence of God, because I need the Spirit of God to empower me. I need the Spirit of God to help me. I can't have it just one time a year. How about you? Are you content with the Spirit empowering you just once a year? How about once a week? Ah, on Sunday mornings, you know, I'll go and I'll feel the presence of God. Maybe we're satisfied with just once a week. But that's not what God intends for us in this New Testament time. That he wants the Spirit of God indwelling us and abiding with us every single day. Right? And it says here, so they pitched a special tent. They put the ark in a special tent that David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. What's, what in the world is David doing? He's acting like a priest here. After they, they all leave, he blesses the people in the name of the Lord. That's what the priests are supposed to do. In Numbers, we often read the priestly uh, blessing, right, that the priests are supposed to give to the people. David does this. Because he's empowered as a priest to minister to the people of God. And so he does all of these things because he wants the Ark of the Covenant. He wants full and free access to the presence of God. Because this little tent that David sets out for the Ark of the Covenant is only for a few decades. Once David passes away, Solomon builds a temple. And guess where the Ark goes back to? The most holy place. Now only the high priest can see the Ark once a year. But all of this time while David is king, oh, this is the glory days of Israel. All this time when David's king, oh, this is the time when David experiences and knows the presence and power of God. It's because the ark is close by to him. 
represents the empowerment, the anointing of the Spirit, the, the presence of God for David there. And David enjoys this for a few decades. Amos, in the book of Amos, Amos prophesied because what happened is after those few decades, the, the tabernacle of David was gone. The tent of David was gone. Now it's the, the, the temple of Solomon. Ark is back into the most holy place, right? And Amos prophesies about it uh, in, in, in Amos chapter uh, 9 and verse 11. He talks about how the tabernacle of David or, or the tent of David will be rebuilt, and actually what happens in, in the book of Acts, when after the Spirit is poured out, let me, let me give you a little background here first. So on, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God is poured out, right? And people start going out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He can save you, He can forgive you, He can redeem you. And then what happens? The news goes to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles start to be saved, and they accept Jesus as their Savior. This causes a little bit of uproar amongst the Jewish people and said, hold on, I thought this is just for us. How come these Gentiles are, are now accepting Jesus? And there was a big conundrum in the early church. And so there was a, they didn't know what to do, so they had this big meeting. All the elders gathered together, and they had this meeting. Paul was there. He was sharing his side of the story, and, and James was there, and Peter, Peter talked about what happened to him, and all of these things. And James stands up near the end and he says, after he's heard all the arguments, and he says, you know what? God is accepting the Gentiles. And it reminds me, here James actually quotes Acts chapter 15. James here is quoting from the book of Amos chapter 9 and verse 11. You can read it later. He says, he's quoting from the book of Amos and he says, the prophecy of Amos was, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent its ruins, and I will rebuild and I will restore it. He's talking about how the Spirit is being poured out, how the Gentiles are accepted into the family of God, and it's the same thing that happened during David's days where there was free and full access to the Shekinah glory of God, to the presence of God, to the, the Ark of the Covenant, to hear God's voice, to, to hear direction, to understand God's will and God's purpose. It was to show that now in this New Testament age, anyone can come into the presence of God. Anyone can have that empowerment and infilling of the Holy Spirit to help them to go forward in the calling of God and in the mission of God. David was a beautiful example and how how he foreshadowed this empowerment of prophet, priest, and king. And it's for us as well today. 1 Peter 2, we read this verse a number of times in our identity series, but here it talks about us being royal priests. Do you know that you are a royal priest? God wants to empower you as a royal priest, right? In, in Revelation 3, verse 21, here God says to the overcomers, I will allow you to sit with me on my throne. As a king, as a ruler, God wants to empower you for rulership and authority. So we see here priest, we see here king for us. And the last thing that I'd like to talk about is us being prophets. Do you know that God wants you to be a prophet? Well, that might sound a little scary. Whoa, me, pro me a prophet? How is this possible? Well, the Spirit calls us to the prophethood of all believers. This term, prophethood of all believers, was coined by a theologian named Roger Stronstad when he, started to, to, when he started to speak and write about how we are called to be prophets speaking the Word of God and fulfilling the mission of God. We are all called to be empowered prophets. The Spirit of God wants to fill us to make us empowered prophets. 
Now, what's the definition of a prophet? Some people think, of course, that a prophet is maybe predicting the future, and in some situations and contexts, that can be true, uh, but it's often the definition that we look at. But a prophet is actually much more than that. Uh, the, 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 the holistic definition, if I can say, of a prophet is someone who is empowered by the Spirit of God to fulfill the mission of God. Okay? I'll say that again. A prophet is someone who is empowered by the Spirit of God to fulfill the mission of God. Now, that could be predicting the future, but there's so many other things that prophets do. Let me give you a few examples in the Old Testament. Genesis 20, right? Abimelech and Abraham, okay? God closed the, the wombs of all of the women in Abimelech's kingdom and told Abimelech, go to Abraham. Look at what he says here. Now return the woman that was Abraham's wife, Sarah, because Sarah had gone to Abimelech. God tells Abimelech, return the woman, Sarah, to her husband, and he will, what? Pray for you, for he's a prophet. Abraham really wasn't predicting the future. But God calls him a prophet and tells Abimelech, go and ask him to pray for you. He is empowered by the Spirit to pray for you. Have him pray for you and your women will be healed. And they'll be able to bear children. Right? He was an empowered prophet fulfilling the mission of God, right? Moses was considered a prophet, not so much because he was predicting the future, which he did do a little bit because there are some messianic passages in the first five books of Moses, but more often than not, he was the empowered prophet because he spoke the word of God, he led the people of Israel, and he fulfilled the mission that God gave him right from the burning bush, right? Deuteronomy 34 says, There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. God wasn't talking about there has been no other prophet in Israel who predicted the future to such great accuracy. No. There was no other prophet in Israel that, that said exactly what was going on and he was never wrong. No. There's no other prophet in Israel who I knew face to face. It was like David going in front of the Ark of the Covenant, seeing the Shekinah glory of God, intimacy with God, knowing the Lord. This is how God wants to empower us in the New Testament time. God wants us to know him face to face. We behold in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. How? By the Spirit of the Lord. God wants, to God wants us to be empowered by the Spirit so that we can see God face to face. Deuteronomy 18, talking, Moses says here again, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Now, this is Moses being prophetic here, talking about Jesus from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Why? Because this prophet that God is going to raise up, he is going to be empowered. Isaiah 11 that we read at the first, the Spirit of God coming upon Jesus, right? That prophet, speaking about Jesus, that God was going to raise up, he was, God was going to empower him, and Moses says, you should listen to him because his words will be empowered speech. His words will be my words. You must listen to him. Moses' desire was that all of God's people would be prophets. Moses' desire was that all of God's people would experience that same empowerment of the Spirit. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example, and this is the crux of this. There was a time in Moses' life and in his leadership where the children of Israel were complaining. Now, they did a lot of that, but this particular season, they complained even more than normal, 
And it was getting to Moses. He was like, I'm trying to lead these people, God, but these people are just complaining after complaint after complaint after complaint. So God tells Moses, Numbers 11, he tells Moses, hey, gather 70 men, recognize elders among the children of Israel, gather them together. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take some of that empowered spirit that I have on you, Moses, and I am going to share it with these other 70 people so that the burden will be shared. Right? He's saying basically, Moses, I'm going to take that prophetic anointing, not necessarily predicting the future, but the burden for leadership, right? Again, a prophet is someone who is empowered by the Spirit to fulfill and accomplish the mission of God. And so what God is saying here, look, I'm going to create 70 other prophets, right? And I'm going to take some of the Spirit that's on you, I'm going to put it on these other 70 people so that the burden is shared amongst everyone. The prophethood of all believers, here at least it was just limited to 70. In the New Testament time, he wants it for all of us. He wants all of us to share in that. And so in, in, verse, in verse 25, uh, it says, The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was on, upon Moses. He empowered these 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. Now, two of those 70 people were not with the rest of the group. All the other group, they're all here. Yes, the Spirit of God is coming. They're feeling the empowerment of the Spirit. Two other guys, right, in verse 26... Uh, Eldad and Medad, they were somewhere else. They were still in the camp. The Spirit of God still came upon them. They started to prophesy. Who gets upset? Joshua. Yeah, our good friend Joshua. He gets upset, and he goes to Moses, and he says, Moses, these people over here, they're prophesying. They're empowered by the Spirit. Moses, you got to stop them. How could they be empowered by the Spirit? Moses, stop that from happening. It should be you, Moses. You are our leader. Here's the thing. Look at what Moses says here. Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. This is Moses' deep desire. This is Moses speaking prophetically. This is Moses sharing the burden of God and saying, I wish that all of God's people were prophets and that he would pour out his spirit on everyone. This is Moses hoping and wishing for a time to come that the spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh. And he sees, he knows and realizes this is such an amazing experience. To be empowered and filled with the Spirit of God is so wonderful. It's so amazing. I wish everyone could experience it. Not just these 70 elders. I wish everyone could have the same experience. To be filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. Oh, for a time that the Spirit of God would be poured out. And it wasn't just Moses. It was Joel. He talked about it. He said that after, the, after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. He's predicting the future. He's saying, oh, I wish for a time that the spirit of God wasn't just upon me, Joel, but upon all people. Ezekiel talked about it. He said, uh, speaking prophetically as well, he said, I will put, uh, speaking on behalf of the Lord, the Lord is saying, I will put my spirit in you. And then what happens? Acts chapter 2 happens. And the Spirit of God is poured out to empower us 
to be prophets. Jesus modeled this empowerment of the Spirit in a beautiful way. It was prophesied in Isaiah 42. It says here in Isaiah, Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one, Jesus, who pleases me. I have put my Spirit upon him. Then Acts chapter 10 is the fulfillment of that when he says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. And what did he do? Did he start predicting the future? No. He was empowered by the Spirit as a prophet to do good. Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is what it's about in the New Testament time. The prophethood of all believers. Moses looked at it and he saw, oh, that all of God's people would be prophets and that he would pour out his spirit upon everyone because I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. I have tasted and experienced the power of the spirit of God. Oh, what a wonder it is. Oh, what amazing things happen. Oh, I wish that everyone could experience what I have experienced. And guess what? We can now experience that. Because he pours out his spirit upon all flesh to be in us and indwell us and empower us to fulfill and accomplish the mission of God. Acts 1 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, prophetic witnesses. You will be empowered as prophets to go and speak the word of God, to share the love of Jesus, to say what God wants you to say, to do what God wants you to do, to push you out of your comfort zone. If you've never walked out of your comfort zone, let me encourage you, people of God, to allow the spirit of God to come and empower you and cause you to take that step out of your comfort zone, because only then will you realize how amazing and wonderful the empowerment of the spirit is. That empowers us to do things we would not naturally and normally do. This was the fulfillment of Moses' desire. It was Joel's prophecy. It was Ezekiel's prophecy. It was Jesus' ministry. It was the Spirit of God that came down on that day of Pentecost, that came down throughout the book of Acts, that is still coming down now upon us if we say, Welcome, Holy Spirit. Come and fill me. The purpose of that empowerment was to be witnesses of what Jesus had done. Witnesses to the love of Jesus. Witnesses to the forgiveness of God. To the peace of God. To the joy of the Lord. To the grace of God. Witnesses to the comfort of the Spirit. To the care of the Father. To the provision of God. And to so many more wonderful things that God does in our lives. All that the Spirit does in us, he helps us to be empowered prophets to share with others what God has done for us. The Spirit is poured out upon all people, upon followers of Jesus to fulfill the mission of God. We are called to the prophethood of all believers, empowered people by the Spirit of God, doing the will of God and fulfilling the mission of God. The Spirit empowers us to tell others. Oh, how we need the Spirit of God to fill us and to transform us and to change us and to inspire us and to lead us and to help us and to to take us out of our comfort zone so that we can be true, full, dedicated, passionate followers of Jesus, following Him wherever He leads, especially out of our own comfort zones. There's an ancient prayer that is prayed hundreds of years now, and it's simply like this. Come, Holy Spirit. 
Come, Holy Spirit. And as we pray that, we invite his power. As Zechariah said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's not by what we can do. It's not our own wisdom. It's not our own strength. But it's by the spirit of the Lord. Let me close with the story of a woman named Rebecca Proton. Rebecca Proton was born in, in Antigua in 1718. She's actually known, if you didn't know, as the mother of modern missions. She was a slave, but freed at the age of 12. She came to know Christ through the uh, Moravian missionaries. Moved by the Spirit of God, she became a missionary to St. Thomas, desiring to share with the African slaves the love of Christ. Here's the question. How did African slaves embrace the faith of their slaveholders? How did African slaves embrace the religion, the faith of those who held them as slaves? It had to be, it had to be the work of the Spirit in their lives, empowering them. The Protestant Reformation happened in 1517, but it can, it can be said that it was followed by, in 1736 by the Black Reformation, where there was a huge religious revival in the States. Juan Williams, in his book, This Far by Faith, he writes, Africans did not simply adopt the religion of the European colonists. They used the power, principles, and practices of Christianity to blaze a path to freedom and deliverance. They realized the whole truth of the gospel. They realized the truth of the empowerment of the Spirit, and they lived through that. That's how they were able to take the faith of their, own sla- their, sl- their owners and realize the power of the Spirit. Proton, she predated people like William Carey, who's known as the father of modern missions, because she took the gospel to St. Thomas. She brought, she brought hundreds of enslaved people to the Lord and helped form one of the earliest Protestant churches in the West Indies. In the book, Rebecca's Revival, talking about Rebecca Proton, it is written that her travels, quote, took her to the slave quarters deep in the island's plantation heartland, where she proclaimed salvation to the domestic servants, cane boilers, weavers, and cotton pickers, whose bodies and spirits were strip-mined every day by slavery. And she shared the gospel with them. In his book, uh, Rebecca's Revival, John Stenbeck says this, that it's written about Rebecca, quote, that she was a prophet with a distinctively international persona, obedient to a calling, yet adept at negotiating life's possibilities, resourceful in any setting or language, and determined to take what she regarded as the Bible's liberating grace to the people of African descent. Much that we associate with the black church in subsequent centuries, the anchor of community life, advocate for social justice, midwife to spirituals and gospel music in some measure derives from those early origins. Though hardly anyone knows her name today, Rebecca helped ignite fires of a new kind of religion that in subsequent centuries has given spiritual sustenance to millions. Empowered by the Spirit of God to fulfill the mission of God, that's our calling too. He can do it. He can make a way where there seems to be no way, and he'll open a door for us. Let's sing to the Lord.